It's the Breakcast, Breakcast, the PopBreak.com. Breakcast, Breakcast, listen to the show, because you're in for the PopBreak.com. Breakcast, Breakcast, oh Welcome to The Breakcast, the official podcast of ThePopBreak.com. I am your host for this evening or afternoon or whenever you're listening, um, and my name is Josh, and today we will be talking about Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and I am joined today by my co-host and brother, Aaron. Aaron, say howdy. Hey, we're recording this right after Christmas, so if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Belated Christmas. If not... Well, I hope you had an excellent Tuesday. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Happy New Year if it's around the corner, you know, whenever you listen to this. Uh, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Return of the King, the last of the three Lord of the Rings movies. So um, a lot uh, to talk about here. Definitely a very big, long film, um, but also just a lot going on with it in terms of the awards and it being an adaptation, so a lot to focus on. But we are specifically um, talking about it right now just because it's the 15-year anniversary of it. So a little hard to believe, but it's you know it's getting pretty old. Uh, but yeah, so Aaron, before we go into our thoughts on the movie, what is your relationship with the Lord of the Rings series? So uh, Hard Dad's really a big fan of uh, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. So uh, he was the one who introduced us to these movies. Um, this is the only one that we saw in theaters during its theatrical run. Uh, I remember having to go to the bathroom really bad at the end. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the length. Um, so yeah, um, you and I have both read the books, uh, later on, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, we actually had a chance to see the extended editions of, uh, all these movies in theaters during a special event. So, uh, yeah, um, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite, uh, movie, uh, series and, um, I still enjoyed it watching it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. I'm just going to add two more things for me. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we, we have some familiarity with the series. Uh, not to boost my uh, credibility, but I will say that I did take a whole class on it in college, just on The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So I feel like I'm pretty well versed in, you know, a good uh, authority on the series. Maybe not the best, but, you know, I feel decent about it. Um, also, this is a bit of a spoiler, but, I mean, this is a 15-year-old movie. If you haven't seen it yet... You know, go see it. But uh, I got the chance not too long ago to see this movie um, in a uh, outside auditorium in Philadelphia called the Man Center with the Philadelphia Orchestra providing the score. And it was a really amazing experience. If you ever have the chance to listen um, and see a movie with a live orchestra, I highly recommend it. Um, just a very emotional experience. But um, my favorite part of it was at the end when 
Frodo and Sam are on the brink of death after destroying the ring. And, you know, it looks like you're going to die. And all of a sudden, the eagles come swooping in to save them. And, you know, it's this majestic moment. It's like so epic and so emotional. And someone in the audience just starts cheering, E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. And it was the most hilarious thing I could have ever experienced in that setting. It was still a truly emotional and amazing experience, but that was probably the funniest thing that happened. Um, And I'm so glad I was there for that. So, uh, yeah, just some little... Uh, side stories we have from our experience with this movie. Uh, but yeah, so otherwise we're just going to get into it. So Aaron, um, seen this movie a few times, read the book. How does it feel watching it now, 15 years after its release? Okay. Uh, uh, just to preface this. So um, like I said, we've both seen the extended editions since this is the 15th anniversary of the theatrical version. And it's the version that won all of these Academy Awards, we decided to watch that version. But and we'll talk a little bit about the difference between the versions. Um, I still love this movie. I Like you said, I've seen it probably close to a half a dozen times at least. Um, uh, it is still long, and it, there are some points where its length is apparent. But, I mean, it's still even... You know, with all the effects and all the different, you know, movies that have come and gone, it's still just such an example of like master, masterful filmmaking between the effects and the makeup and uh, the direction and the performances, you know, are really good too. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, definitely the, the makeup is something that always gets me when I watch these movies. Well, because that's because, um, before he did, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, Peter Jackson was known as a horror director. So that's where he has experience doing makeup. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But just, uh, all the, the orcs are just so good. Uh, I mean, they're terrifying, but they, they, the makeup looks so good on them. And all of the the costumes are great. Um, you know, it looks like, you know, this is a fantasy setting, but it, it looks um, accurate to, you know, the certain time period that it's based off of. Uh, just really good um, detail when it comes to all of that, as well as the set design. Uh, you mentioned the effects. How do you think the effects have aged um, over the years? I think... Watching it in full again, I actually am surprised how well a lot of the effects hold up, though there are a few moments in particular, particularly during the beginning and the end, where the effects have not aged particularly well, particularly the the, <laughs> the very first scene when we get more information about the backstory of Gollum and we see his cousin Deagle being dragged through the water by a giant fish is probably one of the fakest looking effects um, I've seen in probably any movie in the last 15 years. And similarly, even though the effects in general around Mount Doom are pretty good at the end, when they're running away, I've never seen a more, you know, blatant example of, Oh wow. They're just in front of a green steen running away. Yeah, that's true. Um, I would say for me though, the thing that 
was most iffy about the the visuals was and it's only a brief second was was Treebeard. Um, just when he is standing there, just he's the only thing in the shot, like in the foreground of the shot. It just looks very uh, fake. I mean, there's no other way around it. Uh, but I mean, it's such a small moment. He's only in mm-hmm. it for that brief part. Um, otherwise, I'd say the Nazgul and a lot of the bigger animals and creatures do look pretty good. Um, I mean, like I said, it's it's 15 years later, so you have to take it with some grain of salt. But mm-hmm. otherwise, they look pretty decent in my book. I will say this, and this is – I don't know how people feel about this. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about these movies probably in a, once we get close to the end. Um, I prefer the way this movie looks, even with some of its age visuals, to how The Hobbit looks. There's uh, more photorealism to it um, than the more stylized visuals of the Hobbits, even if the CGI is technically better. Yeah, the Hobbits, uh, that's a whole different podcast. But uh, suffice it to say that we we both agreed that these movies are all superior than any of the individual Hobbit movies. But, you know... Happens, you know. Peter Jackson needed a paycheck. You know, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. So, we were both still pretty big fans of this one. Uh, you know, nothing glaring for you, really. Um, no, I, I, I think it's been a few years since I've seen this movie, but I don't think there was any part that was like, oh, that has that, that entire part is dumb. Um, okay, because I. I have a little bit of a moment like that. Okay. And it's really just the stuff with, um, with Arwen. Uh-huh. Just, it's very tacked on. Um, I mean, anyone who's read the books knows that it's not really something that's, that Tolkien was too focused on when he had the books written. Um, and so it's something that's very much focused on in the movies more so than the books. And, uh, I don't know. I, I appreciate them wanting to put more of an emphasis on some of the women in Lord of the Rings, but she's just so one dimensional and I just understand why she's dying and why it matters. And the only thing that seems to be important about her character is that she's in love with Aragorn is going to die. Just, I, I don't know. There's, it wasn't just very compelling for me. I don't know. What do you think? I think that, um yeah obviously they they wanted to make her character more compelling so they decided that they were going to flesh out her and Elrond who neither appear all that much in any of the books um I think part of it also was because you're trying to appeal to a mass audience at least in the studio's mind they might have been like you know they thought that maybe they would get more female viewers if they focused more on a love story. I don't think that they needed that kind of thing, but maybe that was their thinking. Yeah, but it's such like a... The love story is so underdeveloped. Because it, it's weird, but I, I never noticed it before. So many of the love story moments between Aragorn and Arwen in this movie don't actually happen between them. It's dreams and visions of them of each other. 
That's true. And there's that one in uh, the two towers that doesn't happen either when he falls off the cliff. Right. So they only really spend, you know, a very limited amount of time with each other in Fellowship of the Ring and then at the very end of this. Otherwise, it's really just weird visions or dreams. And it's all like it, it hints at there being more to their relationship, but I'm just not buying it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's my biggest gripe, though. Otherwise, um, you know, I loved well. I loved what they did with with Awen. The only concern I have there is that Arwen and Awen have very similar names sometimes. I thought that too. I, you know, I think Tolkien is usually good with naming things, but for some reason there, I guess he was like, "Oh, these are written down. People won't confuse them." But when you say them, it gets a bit confusing. And that's why in Game of Thrones, they change certain characters' names who sound similar. Yeah, that was that was a good call. Um, time, you know, more on that for different podcasts, but definitely a, a good change to not mix it up so much with the, the names of characters. Because some of these fantasy names can be really difficult to keep track of. Especially when you have these terms being thrown out randomly out of the blue. Like, every sword has to have a name, and every mountain has to have a name, and every sword that's in a mountain has to have a name there's lots of names so but uh yeah so we we mentioned earlier that it won a lot of academy awards so uh it won 11 academy awards it was nominated for 11 academy awards so it did a clean sweep which is pretty pretty rare uh aaron did it deserve to win all the ones that it did um, well, you'd have to show me a list of all the ones that it did. Do you have a list of all the ones I that it did? I can do that. Okay. I, um, technology, I, I can, I know that it won best picture and it won mm-hmm. best director mm-hmm. it won best score and it won best cinematography. Mm-hmm. It won best original song and I th- probably won, uh, best visual effects. You're naming a lot of them. Um, what else? Okay. I'm just going to run through it. Um, so the 11 it was nominated for were Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Visual Effects, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, Best Sound Design, and Best Film Editing. Was Cinematography in there? No. No? Unless Art Direction counts as Cinematography. No, you're right. I... Fellowship of the Ring is the one that won for cinematography. Ah. Okay. Well, you, you missed on all that. One. But otherwise, yeah, you, you named the other ones. So um, mostly technical awards, which is not super surprising. But it also did land, you know, obviously, the two biggest awards in the night, director and best picture. I didn't know that it won best adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. I guess I thought something like Mystic River would have run something like that. No. So what do you think based off of those 11 deserving, not deserving? Um, so, uh, obviously, I mean, I, you and I were pretty young still in 2003. I, uh, to prepare for this movie, I also watched mystic river and lost in translation. I didn't watch the other two movies, uh, sea biscuit and uh, master and commander. I just didn't have the time. Um, but given what I've seen, um, my knowledge of what other movies were out that year as well. Yeah, it was the best movie of that year. I mean, 
is it the best best picture to have ever won the award that's debatable um but i do believe that return of the king was the best movie of 2003 hmm. it's also notable because it is i believe the last sci-fi or fantasy film to win a best picture before shape of water last year oh, okay yeah i thought you were going to note that it's only one of three movies that have won 11 academy awards the other being uh ben-hur and titanic yes and also the actor who plays Theoden was the captain in titanic so he has a very good agent oh so what you're saying is everyone should put him in their movies and then they'll get nominated for a ton of academy awards i don't know i mean it happened twice no it's a lightning strike twice apparently um but yeah in terms of you know looking through each of these individually um it's got an amazing score um i definitely think it deserved that um i i listen more to the the fellowship of the ring score uh but this one is you know amazing um definitely deserving and we already talked about you know some of the costume design and makeup how peter jackson had a, a background in it and it really shows in so many of the different scenes there is one, at least one uh, award here that I think is very much missing, and that would be Best Supporting Actor for Andy Serkis. I know I'm not breaking any like yeah. news here saying that Andy Serkis deserves an award for his motion capture work, but Andy Serkis deserves an award for his motion capture work. Right. I mean, either for this or for The Two Towers, which was his breakout role for anybody who never knew who he was right just i mean even in the very beginning before he is doing any motion capture when it's just him as uh pre-gollum smeagol he he does such a good job um of bringing that character to life that is you know but once you consider that he also does it with motion and capture it just takes it to another level it is something that the academy still does not seem to really appreciate whether it's acting through motion capture or acting uh in some sort of suit just there there is not really a taste for that in the academy and it's really a shame because he does amazing work in this and i think it's only a matter of time before the academy includes some sort of motion capture award but really i would say forget that and just put andy circus up for best you know, uh, supporting actor. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, you don't need a special award for just such a great performance. It's all there on the screen. Right. Um, but I also think that there are some other actors here that could have arguably been up for that award too. So mm -hmm. I know that Ian McKellen, who plays Gandalf, was nominated in Fellowship of the Ring, uh, didn't win it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think he could have easily been nominated um, in this movie too. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. So... It's just a little surprising because I think you mentioned earlier that the acting is really consistent all along and for it to be shut out from any acting categories seems really unfair or like a, a misstep. It also seems strange just for a movie nominated for Best Picture not to have any acting nominations. True. And, you know, part of that could be... The genre. The genre. I mean, that's that's really what I would go to. Just... Genre, even when it's, you know, the best picture, genre still has its uh, taboo within the Academy, I think. So, 
But otherwise, yeah, I'd say that, you know, I, I haven't seen all those other pictures that were nominated, but based off of its merits alone, I'd say, I mean, this is a solid movie. And especially for the time, all of those factors um, were definitely at award winning level. But, you know, is there anything that you would change about the theatrical edition? About the theatrical edition, um, I mean, they include a good portion of the book. Um, I mean, the biggest change that neither edition has is there's this whole subplot in the book where Saruman escapes to the Shire um, and causes a bunch of trouble. I wouldn't put that in because you just can't make that work in a movie. Um, There's nothing major I feel like they left out of the movie that... I think would have affected it greatly. I mean, there's always probably tiny things they could have put in, but I think that for the most part, they it's a complete movie. I mean, obviously the extended extended edition is more complete, but um, they did everything they needed to do to make it uh, work as uh, for make make the plot work. So you're not missing any like Tom Bombadil moments or anything? Well, I mean, he doesn't show up back in uh, Return of the King, as I far know. as I remember. No, he doesn't. But uh, I mean, in terms of adaptation, I know one thing that you mentioned earlier uh, before we recorded this was that the the format is very different from the book in terms of how they break up the different storylines. That's true. So do you, do you mind you know going into more detail about that? So in the book, um, in Lord of the Rings, um, the first volume, The Fellowship of the Ring, all the characters are together. But for The Two Towers and The Return of the King, they break up certain characters into uh, certain sections. So you'll follow Aragorn and Legolas, and you'll follow them in one half – of the book and then in the next half it will go all the way back in time to what Frodo and Sam were doing during that time and obviously you can't do that in a movie so they intercut certain storylines to make a timeline that makes sense right and for the most part the transitions are really smooth yeah I I did tell you that the movie does have a tendency to go back to a plot line right as you're beginning to forget about it. But I think it's just because there's so much material to cover. Right. And it's really impressive that that works though. Um, because I was just thinking of, I, I know you already sort of mentioned, you know, it's, this is a comparison to game of Thrones, obviously game of Thrones has a ton of different characters and, they work on it a different way in the books um, for the Game of Thrones books where they're all there's one chapter. And then that, you know, goes pretty uh, similarly to what they did in Lord of the Rings movies where a Game of Thrones, the show, they, you know, just intersperse it however they see fit. Um, but, you know, it's, it's amazing, though, that it works the way it does, because I forgot how little sometimes you hear from certain characters because really I'm not even sure like for based on awards, like who would you say if you were to nominate someone for best actor who or best, yeah, best actor, who would be best actor in this? Like who's top, who gets the most screen time? Uh, that's a good question. 
Because it doesn't seem like it's Frodo. No. Um, like, would it be Gandalf? Gandalf does have a lot of screen time in this movie, but I don't know if I would say he... I mean, I would make the argument for Aragorn with uh, Viggo Mortensen, but I and he gives a good performance, but I don't know if it was award-worthy. Right, but I for me, I would just say that despite the fact that the movie's Return of the King, there are very long segments of time when Aragorn is not in it. Right. Because, I mean, there's so many other people to, to jump around to. It's an ensemble cast. you got to do that. But, you know, it's, it's somewhere like... So is this king re- returning? Like, where, where, where'd the king go? Like, I don't know. You talking about Theoden? Because I'm seeing him right now. <laughs> you know, I feel like Theoden was in it more than Aragorn. Who <laughs> had to clock the time that they were in it? Yeah, um, yeah. If anybody can research that for me and, and you know tweet that at me, that'd be great. Uh, but that that does bring up something else I wanted to talk about, which was. Aragorn is so much better at motivational speeches than Theoden. Oh, you think so? Theoden goes into battle. It's like, okay, guys, listen up. We're all going to die. Don't worry. Let's just let's just do it. And just screams death as his battle cry. Oh, I always interpret it as the death of the orcs, but I don't know. Maybe he, he was saying that we're all going to die. I well, mean, he said it earlier. Yeah, before that, like his his troops are like, like King, are we gonna like make it through this? He's like, listen, guys, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. We're pretty screwed. We're gonna die. Like he, like, Aragorn is given the same situation later on where he they're knows, even more outnumbered. Right, they're like incredibly outnumbered. They get surrounded, and he's very honest with them. Like, okay, guys, look, it's not great, but we have a mission. We need to be a distraction. So he's not he's not sugarcoating it still, but at least he's. It's not even upbeat the way he presents it in terms of, you know, one day the the fate of man will, you know, uh, go south or blah, 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 blah. But he he just presents it in such a more hopeful way, I guess. I guess. It's just so fatalistic with Theoden. He's just so down. He's just so pessimistic about their chances. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I if, if I was being led into battle and Theoden started just cheering death, I'd be like, um, I'm gonna just uh, meet you guys back at camp. I'm not feeling this right now. So, I don't know. That's that's just my coordinate. But, um, I don't know. I, I do think that the death of Theoden is very emotional, though. Yeah, I mean, people, I don't know if people complain that None of really the main cast dies in these movies. The only member of the Fellowship who died was Boromir back at the end of the first movie, and then everybody else lives. But I mean, Theoden, even though he's not part of the Fellowship, he's a major character, and it's a big deal that he dies. Yes, for sure. Um, he's probably, besides Boromir, the biggest death, I guess. Yeah, I mean, considering that Gandalf comes back... Do you, okay, I know obviously this is not something that happens in the books, but what do you think it would have done to this movie if Frodo and Sam had not survived? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, there are some people who don't like Frodo. I mean, let's just get that out of the way. Uh, Joss's girlfriend, Bree, does not like Frodo. Um, I can't blame her. 
but when you view Frodo as somebody who went through an enormous hardship, uh, you sort of get to like him more, or at least I did, if you view it from uh, the, the sequence of movies. Um, I think it would have destroyed people if Sam had died. So, Oh, yeah. Sam is clearly the hero of the story. And that is probably the thing that annoyed me most is whenever the rest of the fellowship is wondering how Frodo's doing, they only talk about Frodo. It's like, I hope Frodo's okay. Like, they don't even talk about Sam. It's like, yeah, Sam's there too. He's, you know, working his butt off trying to save Frodo. It's like, chop liver or whatever. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you think if... If if Sam and Frodo died, would that have changed? I guess the message or themes of this movie. Uh, I, I guess it just. I don't know if it would have worked. Honestly, I mean, obviously, I think the movie cuts to black, so it almost seems like they are going to die. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I guess I, I think it'd just be too much of a downer of an ending. At least. It might have worked if it were in the book, but I feel like in the movie it would not have worked. Right. And the, the only reason I, I bring that up is that a lot of this movie is pretty fatalistic in the terms of... There is a huge sense of doom in this movie that yeah. you pick up on very you know early on, whether it's Thayden talking, you just see over the horizon, you see Mordor... Yeah. You got freaking Denethor the whole time is all Denethor. You know, right as the battle starts, they launch heads over the walls. Yeah. Which I'm also I don't know if you would still be able to get away with that in a PG thirteen movie, but I don't know. But just be, because of that sense of uh futility, I don't know, it just it seems like it would be fitting for Frodo and Sam to uh, to die on their quest and to still succeed. But the other reason I say that is, and once again, this is probably not, you know, breaking any news here, but the Eagles kind of come across as a deus ex machina. That's true. And there are always those people like, oh, why couldn't the Eagles, you know, have flown them to Mordor and stuff like that? You know, you give, you know, counter arguments saying that, you know, They'd be under the influence of the ring just as much as anybody else, or that you know Saruman and Sauron had spies and stuff like that. Um, yeah, they do. Um, but I mean, what are you, you going to do? I mean, you have to get them if they're going to live. You have to get them off that mountain somehow, and they're not just going to walk. Um, Sam calls an Uber, <laughs> and an they Uber. make it out fine. Um, yeah, they just you know charge Gandalf. Um, but, but in all seriousness, I, I do think that is a bit of a Deus Ex Machina. Oh, um, uh, more than the Army of the Dead? That was my other Deus Ex Machina. Well, I, I've got three I noted. One was the Eagles. Two was the Army of the Dead. And the third was when Frodo gets captured by the orcs and Sam needs to rescue him. And just all of the orcs start fighting and just kill each other. Okay, that one is... Honestly, that one's probably the biggest example, and I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, because, I mean, otherwise Sam is going to have to sneak in Metal Gear Solid style and mm -hmm. save Frodo, and instead right, there's Right, because like, he, he can't put on the ring, because then 
Sauron would know exactly where he was. Right. So there's like, what, four orcs left alive after this whole base just kills each other? Right. Like, it's very convenient. Right, that's true. Um, I mean, anytime you have these movies when people have astronomical odds against them, you need to have some things go their way in order for them to succeed. But it's just a little jarring considering there's so many things going up against them that they need to succeed. That's true. Uh, with the Army of the Dead in particular, um, I mean, so, I mean, it they introduce it, I think, well enough. I mean, Gandalf doesn't spell it out to Aragorn before they leave, but he tells them to take a certain way, which I guess Aragorn understands means they're going to pass by that mountain. And I, I mean, I guess he didn't know that Theta or that uh, Elrond was going to come and give him the sword. In in the book, he already has the sword, um, so I guess that was kind of just fortunate. Um, also, in the book, the Army of the Dead doesn't actually go to Minas Tirith. They help fill the Corsair ships that they take and fill them with uh, men loyal to Gondor. But they don't actually show up at the battle. Um, but I guess for a movie, it works. But it is still like still kind of deus ex machina without yeah. derailing the whole movie. Right. And then this isn't so much a, a deus ex machina as just kind of a weird point where as soon as the ring is destroyed... Uh, like Sauron's eye, you know, blows up and there's like an earthquake and all of Mordor starts falling apart. And there's a very convenient landslide around the good guys <laughs> that does not affect them. Now, only the bad guys get sucked up into the earth in earthquake. The good guys are fine. Uh, okay. At first, I thought you were just going to say that there was all that destruction because that happened when Sauron died in the prologue of the first movie also. No, it's it's just... And those guys actually got turned to dust. They're actually orc. They don't talk about it. There are orcs still left that run away after the Black Gate falls. Right. No, it's, for me, it's just... It's that kind of uh, issue you have when one thing solves the entire problem. And the best example I can think of, and this is not really a good example, but it's the best one I can think of, is in The Phantom Menace when little baby Anakin destroys uh, the Trade Federation spaceship and all the droids on Naboo get shut down. Where like, But th they explained that was what no, was going to happen. Right, they explained that, but it, it's just such a contrived way of... Oh, the how fact gonna... that he actually gets shot down into it? That and just this one thing solves all your problems, whereas and save Qui-Gon. Oops, spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. I mean, it happens. But just the fact that the ring's destruction would stop the army. Because technically, you know, there's no reason for them to stop. Like, the orcs still have their mission. They just don't have their leader. True. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's very nitpicky. I'm gonna, you know, be very clear about that. But I, know, I think there's a way of going through with it where it doesn't happen. It's not so Trade Federation-y Phantomous, but that's a really big nitpick, so I'm not going to worry too much about that. But I don't know. That's just, that's just me.
Um, Aaron, I know you mentioned um, a few things about the extended edition. Is there any other big things that happened in the extended edition um, that you missed? So I don't, it's funny. I don't actually like this scene, but I feel like it introduces the next plot element better than the uh, theatrical cut does, which is, um, so in, I mentioned Saruman in the book escapes uh, his tower and causes a bunch of trouble in the Shire. Um, but that just wouldn't work in a movie, at least in my opinion. I'm, there are probably fans who would say that it would, but I, you have to show me evidence of that. Um, in the extended editions, instead of saying that he's trapped in his tower, we actually get a scene with uh, Saruman, and um, he uh, gets killed when he um, gets stabbed in the back by uh, his servant, Wormtongue. Literally stabbed in the back. Yeah, literally stabbed in the back, and then he gets shot by Legolas. Um, I don't like that scene in the extended edition um, because the scene in the book is so much more interesting where they, they talk about how Saruman has a, a mystical power with his voice that can turn people to his side. But in the, in the, in the movie, he's just, you know, shouting insults at them and then he dies very anticlimactically. The only reason that I bring it up is that it makes more sense why the plantier is on the ground because it's under his sleeve when he falls from the tower. Um, in this, it's just randomly in the water where they could have had a line where they'd be like, Oh, this guy was throwing stuff out of the, you know, the tower at the, the ends uh, that guy being uh, warm tongue that would have explained why it's on the ground and not still in the tower, but they didn't do that. Right. But it, it would have tied things up a little bit, even if it's not the smoothest scene. Yeah. Um, you already talked about how the, the stuff with uh, Arwen, uh, they, they give you a little bit of more of that in the uh, extended edition well, actually, it, Aragorn has another vision of oh, her when he he uses the plant tier of uh, Minas Tirith, which they don't go into in the movies uh, to challenge uh, Sauron. Um, Sauron, sorry, you, you have to say it's Sauron, <laughs> um, and that leads to a whole subplot where. Uh, Denethor was being driven mad because he was using that Palantir, which they never go into into uh, in the movie. But um, is that a mistake? Because right now Denethor is just a jerk in this version for no apparent reason. Uh, I mean, they just no apparent reason other than they. That's just his character in this movie. Um, they would have you believe that he was always a jerk, and he's even more of a jerk grief-stricken jerk now that boromir is dead um i don't think it's a mistake it just doesn't he's it makes him a more sympathetic character in the book but nobody's going to see these movies for denethor that's fair just denethor is so unlikable and this is probably irrational but i think the reason i dislike him the most is the scene of him eating oh, it's, it's just, just so annoying it's so gross just like i like it's interesting juxtaposition with 
um, Faramir going into battle pretty much on a suicide mission, but just so gross. Like, I don't want to see this guy eat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I think that was the only... I mean, there's a nice little scene that, I mean, it kind of makes it seem like Sam and Frodo spent very little time in Mordor. There's a scene in the uh, extended edition where they have to start a fight to get out of the army that's marching to the gate. Again, you know, these orcs aren't, <laughs> there are a lot of them, but they aren't the most disciplined army. No. Um, but I, I understand why that was cut. Um, there's one scene in particular that I actually, and, uh, so do I think the extended edition is the most complete version of this movie? Yes, um, and I think the extended edition of this movie is a better extended edition than the other two, which are nice, but they don't add too much to the story. Um, there's a scene where Gandalf faces the Witch King, um, and the Witch King breaks his staff, which is kind of like minor blasphemy, because... I mean, they they never say who's stronger in the books, but for him to just break his staff so easily, I mean, it explains why he doesn't have a sword later, or he doesn't have a staff later when they march the Black Gate. But it's it's just kind of a silly scene. It's like Harry breaking the Elder Wand in the Deathly Hollows movie part two. Uh, I disagree. That made the most sense, and that should have been the way it was in the book. Okay, fine, fine. Um, but while we're talking about extended edition. The the extended edition scene that I missed the most in the theatrical version is the romance between Eowyn and uh, Faramir. I don't think it's a particularly good scene. It's just a montage, really, of them healing up in the hospital and gradually, you know, developing feelings for each other. But... I like it because I just feel so bad for them. All they- right. Because, you know, obviously, Erwin, you know, she, she can't be with Aragorn and Theoden dies. And then right before he goes off to retake Osgiliath, you just see the tears in Faramir's eyes as his father says that he wished that Boromir was the one who lived and that he had died. They, just, they both have such miserable lives and for the two of them to find people that understand them and care about them is just so sweet and in the theatrical version you just have them standing next to each other with a knowing glance during Aragorn's coronation, which is good but I, I liked seeing them have that brief romantic moment and even in a montage it works so much better than the aragorn arwin relationship just miles and miles better okay point taken but i actually like the way it's in the theatrical okay fine fine um that and just aragorn should not have kept leading a one on but that's another story uh but i did want to talk a little bit more about Eowyn, because I do think she is one of the strongest parts of this movie. Um, like her segment with Mary when they're going to battle is so powerful. I think. I don't know. What do you, What are your thoughts? Yeah, she's one of the. I mean, they <laughs> certainly don't give her cousin Eomir much to work with. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I, she's one of the best characters in this movie. She doesn't get to do all that much in the two towers. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've always liked the stuff with her. Yeah, like when when she like takes off her helmet and stabs the witch king in the face. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just blasted your audio levels. You listening? So I apologize for that. Um, but it, it just strikes me as such a better way of emphasizing the women in this world since you know Tolkien just had a, a very poor track record when it came to including women in these stories like I don't know if there's a single woman in the Hobbit um, I mean I'll give him you know it was the 30s and the 50s but you know I'll give him some you know leeway on that yeah but um just they, they did such a good job of fleshing her out especially compared to Arwen and the other thing is that I think when, if you look at the Hobbit movies um, that Peter Jackson went on to make later, and he came up with a totally new elven character played by Evangeline Lilly, um, really just to resolve the problem of there being no women in the Hobbit. And it just doesn't work as well as Eowyn. And I, I don't know what it is, if it's just too jarring with the vision that Tolkien had created in the books, but just just Eowyn is so much better than any of the other female characters created by Tolkien or by Jackson. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of Gladrail fans who might well, disagree with you. I forgot Gladrail about her. in particular is a very powerful individual who you don't actually get to see the full extent of her power, but they they there's this whole subplot in either the Cimmerillion or something where she she goes to Sauron's old uh, place in Dol Gador, the place you see in The Hobbit, and she just completely destroys it. But they, they don't talk. There's no time for that in the movie, obviously. Yeah, I okay. I, I totally forgot about Gladriel. I apologize for that. Though I will say that, I don't know, Gladriel's not, I think she's probably better represented in the book than she is in the movie, at least with the one famous slash infamous scene where Frodo tries to give her the ring, but we're not going to focus on that. I, I will just say that that scene is more terrifying than any other thing in this series. Except when you see Gollum in the beginning, I would say. Maybe. Uh, but this movie has some scary moments. I'd say that the the Army of the Dead's cave and Shelob's lair are pretty unsettling. Yeah, I mean, they have Shelob's like pincers right in front of the camera. Stuff like that. Yeah. What is the better giant spider? Shelob or um, Hagrid's giant spider in Harry Potter? Are you serious? Of course it's Shelob. Okay. Why? Okay. I guess I don't have a good reason for it. But I mean, if, if if we're being fair, both of these movies came up very close to each other. That's very close for the whole giant spider market. You know, you don't see those very often in movies. I mean, there were also like several more dozen spiders in the scene in Harry Potter. Right. But I don't know. Giant spiders, not my favorite thing, but I like to compare them when I have the chance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I feel like we've done a, a pretty good job comparing the extended edition. Is there anything else we're missing? From the extended edition comparison? Um, Anything with like the final battle? 
Is there something like with the mouth of Sauron or something? There is a, something with the mouth of Sauron, and I'm sure there are people who like it. I think it kind of paints Aragorn in a bad light because so he gives him. Also, I feel like I think it's in the book, but I feel like it makes it more of a plot hole. So they they establish that Sauron Sauron thinks that Pippin has the ring. Um but then Frodo gets captured, so they know that there are halflings in Mordor. Um and then this mouth of Sauron emissary presents Gandalf with the uh mithril um uh mail that he has um that Frodo was wearing. Um and then Aragorn just beheads him, and I feel like that's sort of it's kind of pointless. I mean because then Aragorn just says he doesn't believe it anyway. <laughs> but and also it I don't know. It makes Aragorn look less, you know, kingly by killing a messenger. Yeah, I mean you don't kill the messenger. That that's pretty that's, standard. Yeah, I mean, unless this is three hundred and they present you the heads of other kings, you probably shouldn't kill the messenger. Yeah. That does remind me, the the slow motion in this is a little jarring at times. While we're speaking about three hundred, in what scenes particular? Um, the just there's moments when pretty much any time Frodo gets stabbed or he gets stabbed a lot in these movies, um, or when he is like staring at Sam's mouth when Sam offers to take the ring. Oh. It's like, I don't know. Like there's a lot of slow motion moments in this mm-hmm. and some of them work better than others. Well, some of them are slow motion and I feel like some of them are just like, they're, I think it's part of Peter Jackson's style. He tends to tilt the camera sometimes to make things seem kind of creepy. There's that statue he looks at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, compared to, say, honestly, compared to a movie like 300 or even like Watchmen, anything by Zack Snyder, <laughs> the use of um, the use of slow motion is pretty uh, conservative. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But I don't know. So we're, we're almost done, I feel like, with our conversation, but... But before we start wrapping up, um, I just want to focus on, you know, what were your least favorite parts of the movie and what were your what were your favorites? So uh, how about we start off with least favorites? Least favorite part of the movie. Um, I don't really, I mean, I understand why they put it in and it works fine. I don't really like the part where um, Gollum frames Sam for eating the bread. It's not in the book. They go through the cave together in the book, but I get it. I mean, there are people who would argue that even if Frodo sent him away, Sam would never, you know, leave him or he would always follow him from a distance. He wouldn't, he wouldn't just muster up the courage when he found the bread. Right. Um, that's, that's probably about it. Okay. Um, yeah. And why do you think they added that? I think that they were looking at the typical beats that you see in a in a movie. The fact that 
the so yeah that you have certain beats in a movie uh even though this this is usually a beat that comes kind of late in like near the second act where in this i think it like happens at the beginning of the second act um i think also because they just didn't have as much material with those characters so they had to establish something because all that stuff happens in the two towers book but that uh, they they needed more stuff with characters so they extended all the stuff with them in the two towers with uh uh faramir so th- i think that's the reason why it's in there okay that makes sense um on my end i'd say my least favorite part is probably probably those visions like aragorn and arwen have um just visions in general just kind of break things up a little bit and seem a little bit out of the blue um just not big on dream sequences if i can avoid them um but the the other thing is and and we've talked about this in the past before the podcast is that there are a lot of endings to this movie there are they fade to black at least twice before the movie ends so i'm sure there were plenty of people who were ready to get out of their seat um like i said before when we first saw this movie i had a severely full bladder but i sat through it um i i think that i think that most of the things that they put in the ending i don't blame them for i mean one of the special things about this movie and all the movies is it really does feel like you're going on a journey so to wrap up the movie so quickly i feel like would be an injustice to it but there are certain things that I would have cut out or shortened. I don't think that the whole scene with Frodo waking up and seeing Gandalf needed to show every single character walking into his room. I love that scene. No, everybody hates that scene. I love that scene. No, it's that's so the scene everybody sweet. makes fun of. What? Oh, is it because they're laughing? Yeah, it's because they're laughing. Oh, Whatever. I think that is a tender moment in a otherwise bleak movie. So there's that scene. Um, I think that they didn't really need to show them going back to the shot. I, I do like the shot where it shows their journey on the map. I don't think that they needed to show them going to going, having a pint of ale and Sam getting married. I think that they could have, skipped his wedding and then we would have still gotten that oh he has a family at the end of the movie oh i've got thoughts about rosie okay can i go on a tangent about rosie okay i'm gonna go on a brief tangent about rosie rosie is completely unnecessary this is another example of peter jackson wanting to throw in romance just because he's in the book i know but just i think the thing that is the most jarring about it is when Oh, I thought you were going to say because I don't think she has any lines. Well, that that's one thing. Uh, but just when Sam and Frodo are dying on the side of Mountain Doom and all of a sudden like, Sam's like, if I was going to marry a girl. I'm sorry, I, I'm going to take that accent back. That was terrible. Uh, but he's like, if I was going to marry anyone, it would be her. It's like, what? Sam, why are you talking about this all of a sudden? This this is totally out of nowhere. Uh, they, they, they do set it up in the first movie. I don't know, just, I I know it's not uncommon for people to suggest that Sam has a crush on Frodo, and I feel like 
watching this now, 15 years later, it seems like Rosie is kind of just there to say, no, Sam doesn't. Sam does not like Frodo. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. But, I mean, I feel like it's... Fans in general tend to take bits of male bonding and interpret the way they want which is fine i mean you can if you want but right um, but but in in just in terms of the shipping of it all right um yeah i i feel like rosie's just there just to to put a put the brakes on that Mm -hmm. uh also though if there was a relationship frodo does not deserve sam sam is so good to frodo and frodo's just a jerk frodo was a jerk because of the influence of the ring and gollum and the influence of Gollum, who he started to sympathize with because he had the ring for so much longer than him. I know. Sam, Sam you deserve Look better. at Frodo. Frodo's true character is how he is in the Fellowship of the Ring. Any negative qualities, or at least most negative qualities, shown in the following movies are because of his burden. No, you're totally right. But I just feel like Fellowship, Sam is- Frodo is best character best frodo i just feel like sam deserved better um so i'm happy end up with rosie just for the sack that he's happy uh and i will say going off top of that with frodo one way for people who dislike frodo that i've come to get a better appreciation of frodo is to view him through a lens of him having ptsd um it's a very interesting read for me uh, that really speaks to me, uh, just the way he acts at the end of the movie, that makes me have a lot more empathy for him. So if you are a Frodo hater, just, you know, consider looking at him from that view and, you know, maybe he will be a little bit less unbearable. I mean, that is true. That has some basis in the books where he, just, he in the movie he just says, you know, the wounds never healed. But in, in, the, uh, in the books they talk about how you know, every you know every anniversary on the date that he got stabbed by the the witch king uh he basically got ill like terribly ill yeah um and there's probably some other stuff too but that was the big thing right okay so um touched on last or at least favorite parts of the movie aaron what is your favorite part oh my gosh this is way too many moments i mean i can list give you a list of you know you know the charge of the rohirrim the uh just that entire battle um sam carrying frodo on mount doom uh when the ring is destroyed when they all bow to them Mm -hmm. at the end i mean i could just go on and on this movie is just such an emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. I, I would agree with a lot of those moments. Um, I think the the reason that this movie and this series in general speaks to so many people is just because of how good the characters are. Because Tolkien does such an amazing job building a world around them. But what I think Peter Jackson did such a good job of was just making those characters come to life. And there is so much heart beneath this between like the, the friendships and the joke, this is a much funnier movie than I remember. Every time Gimli speaks, it's gold. I know. Some people were like, oh, they make Gimli a joke. I love Gimli. He's so funny, and I I wouldn't change him for the world. Um, 
Also a note, the actor who plays Gimli is actually, in reality, the tallest of the cast. And he played Treebeard also. And he played Treebeard also. Um, but, uh, you know, th- those characters are just so amazing. And there's so much, like I said, heart, so much uh, fun to be had, even in these dark moments. Uh, and it's just a really quotable movie. But the, and I could go on and on about my favorite quotes. Um, but really, the my favorite part is the thing you already mentioned, which is when um, the hobbits go to bow to Aragorn, and he, you know, tells them, you know, you know, you know, my friends, you bow to no one. Mm-hmm, and yeah. I, when when I saw this uh, live at the at the Man Center with the orchestra, I remember just crying like a baby. Like <laughs> it it hit me so hard. I was just blubbering. This is one of those movies that I mean. I mean, there are obviously a lot of female fans of these movies too, but I think that the Lord of the Rings movies in particular are one of those movies that also makes guys cry a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'd say that it has something for everyone. I wouldn't I wouldn't gender this movie. True, true. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 just an it's an emotional experience once you learn to love these characters, and I think that part of what makes this such a good movie is you know, that it's the end of their journey and how that impacts you as a viewer. So Aaron, before we wrap up, um, I'm just going to ask, where does this rank uh, for you among the series? I always go back and forth. I feel like, I feel like as an adaptation, I think the fellowship is still better. Um, This movie has the payoff. So I think I tie this with the fellowship as far as, movies that i like best with the two towers under them but i mean if you view it as one movie you don't have to rank them True. to do a cop out no that that that's that's fair um in terms of ranking for me oh that's a really hard one i too enjoyed the payoff in this one um i think that the two towers has really good moments that I may enjoy together better. Um, just anything with tree bears is amazing and lovely. So I'd say I like elements of the two towers better, but just for the sake of getting that cathartic end to your journey, this is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and it, I mean, I, this is a podcast for another day, which hopefully we'll someday do. The, the fact that Peter Jackson made this movie and then made the three Hobbit movies is kind of mystifying because it's like he didn't learn anything from these movies. And again, a podcast for another day. Well, stay tuned for the, the Hobbit podcast coming to you. Who knows when? But yeah, so that is our talk today on the 15th anniversary of Lord of the Rings Return of the King. So thank you all so much for listening. Really appreciate the support. Um, If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Breakcast, please make sure to stay tuned to Apple Podcast or whatever your podcast listening streaming service is. Um, So as we close out, Aaron, uh, do you mind telling these fine people where they can find you on the interwebs? So if you want to follow me at Twitter, I'm at Aaron Sarnecki. Uh, you can find out the spell out, spell my name probably somewhere here. So yeah, just at Aaron Sarnecki. 
Yeah. And if you go online, you can find an excellent review for Aquaman that Aaron just wrote up. Um, highly recommend that. Um, and then if you are interested in finding me on the Twitter, um, you can find me at Josh Sarnecki and you can look up, uh, I should probably have a review for the final season of Voltron coming up, um, any day now, hopefully, uh, holidays make it a little hard to get all that done. Uh, but look for that and yeah, we are just super glad to have you listening in and, um, you know, if you're listening to this before the end of the year, happy new year, safe travels, and we look forward to uh, speaking with you again the new year. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.